Good morning. Would you stand with us and let's worship together? Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand, and everything around me is shaken. I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus, because he's never let me down. He's
Continue to sing of his faithfulness this morning. We sing. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days, I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until goodness of God. Let's sing this out together.
foundation that you are faithful that your mercies are new every morning and so we come here to this place with our brothers and sisters to worship you in spirit and in truth and we pray all this in Jesus name amen you may be seated I want you to hear about this ministry that Samaritan does and you can be a part of so watch this video one of the most important programs at the Samaritan Community Center is backpacks for kids and even though the program only lasts for one day, its effects can be felt over a lifetime. That's because its goal is to equip at-risk kids with the tools they need to succeed in school by helping 4,000 children in Northwest Arkansas to have the confidence and resources they need to achieve an education. We're investing in the future of our state where it matters the most. As we gear up for the 21st annual Backpacks for Kids event, it's amazing to see our community rally together to make each year better than the last. And Fellowship Bible Church is playing such an important role in supporting our mission. From all of us here at the Samaritan Community Center, I just want to say thank you. Samaritan is one of uh, our ministry partners that we've had a relationship with for a pretty long time, and they do great on-the-ground work uh, to help serve people in our community, Benton and Washington counties. And so here's how we can get involved. As a church, uh, they're asking for two items from Fellowship this year to help um, stuff these backpacks with. And so you'll see those up here, the, the paper and the folders. And that may seem like such a small thing that we can do. But let's remember that these supplies are going to real kids with real needs and real families. And we don't get to see all of the interactions that they have with the volunteers at Samaritan. And so not only do we come as a church to, to give to this, but we cover this in prayer, praying that the Lord would continue to build, build those relationships and that life can be found uh, in this process through community, but ultimately through Jesus as well. So the next couple of weeks, we will have bins in our foyer. And so you can go purchase these things individually or with your community group or, you know, with roommates and bring those here and we'll collect them and be able to turn them in as a church sometime mid to late July. So that, those are the bins that you'll see the next couple of weeks in our four years. So I encourage you to practice generosity alongside us uh, this way. Well, welcome. My name is Hunter and I work uh, with the community team and I was asked about this, so I should probably confess. If you were here last week, this is shirt number two. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. But uh, I uh, love to get to help people connect in community. That's one of the joys of our role and our team. And so we have small groups that are meeting uh, throughout the summer. We'll have more that will launch in the fall. But if you've come here as a visitor, you're new or you're not connected, please come talk to someone from our team uh, afterwards in the foyer. We want to take you out to coffee, hear your story, and help get you connected with folks that you can do life with, study God's word with. For those of you who are in your uh, 20s or early 30s, one of the connection opportunities we have this summer are some volleyball nights. Uh, we're continuing those again tomorrow night. Uh, again, it's at our house. I'm not going to give you my address up here, but if you want to come talk to me at the booth, I would gladly give that to you. We are bumping those back to 7 p.m. because it's getting hot. So uh, we're going to bump them back just a little bit to try to uh, get away from the sun, but we've had 50 or so folks come out each night, and it's a great time just to connect with others who are here at our church. So I want to invite you to that. 
A new ministry that's starting here at Fellowship Bentonville is called Fellowship Visits. This is uh, Mark and Sue Vall, and they're uh, basically taking the lead on this because they came to Fellowship. They haven't grown up around here. Um, they moved here and said, hey, we see a need. Could we step in and help? And we were like, yes. That's how things begin here. That's how Samaritan began many years ago. Someone saw a need. And so what Fellowship Visits is, is it helps connect willing and able people like us to visit with folks who are homebound or in a care facility and who desire to be a part of Fellowship Bentonville, but for some reason cannot make it here on Sunday mornings and are lacking that community and want to do life with people. So they're not only recruiting volunteers to kind of help serve in that way, but they're also identifying needs. And so I would put that on all of us. If you uh, feel the prompting of like, hey, maybe this is a way that I could serve or serve with my family or with some friends to set up just a recurring meeting once a month or something like that where I go visit and bring life and community to someone in our body who can't make it here, talk to Mark and Sue. They'll be at the booth uh, back here in the foyer after the service. But maybe even a bigger need is identifying folks who need this because they're not here. And so it's, it's hard for us to know. So if you have a neighbor or uh, someone in your family, you're like, this would be really great for them. Let Mark and Sue know that as well. And if you're live streaming this and this is you, please contact us and let us know. We would love to have you be a part of our community and we want to help bring community to you. So you can call our church phone or uh, email us and we would love to connect. But it's a great way for us to step in as the Vols have stepped in and serve as a church. So I want to invite you into that. At our first service, we got to uh, witness a baptism. Uh, this is Laura uh, right there in the black, and uh, you, we got to hear a story from her brother Tom share how uh, their mom came to faith at age 75, and when their mom passed away earlier this year, uh, it led Laura to start asking some really important questions, and with her brother, she actually committed her life to Christ, and we got to baptize her, and it was just a great reminder for all of us of one, it's never too late to say yes to Jesus. And that could be with our lives, but also just a simple act of obedience. And that's why we gather uh, these mornings is to worship the Lord together, but to hear from him and to say, Jesus, where are you leading me to this week or even today? And how can I step in that and follow you? So if you wanna stand with me, I wanna pray uh, into our time um, as we continue to worship. And as that, that's our heart posture that we would hear from Jesus and be able to trust and obey him. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word as we study the value of your word and being planted by a stream of living water. As we, as we look at the, who you are and the ways in which you communicate to us, but not just communicate, you reveal yourself to us. You bring us life through your word as we get to experience you. So would you help us fix our eyes on you this morning to create space where we can hear from you and to take steps of obedience. We love you, Lord. Amen. Now we've 
Our Father, we want to simply bow our hearts before you and pray the simple prayer that Pat has led us through the last two weeks. We simply say to you, Lord, you are here. And Lord, we are here. So speak now, Holy Spirit, because your people are listening. Open our ears, our minds, our hearts, our lives. Speak now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Oh, good morning to a few of you out there. So kind for you to greet me too. Hey, happy summer. Uh, the calendar tells us it is summer now. If that didn't do it for you, this morning's temps told you it was summer now, didn't it? Good to see you. Hey, let's start with something easy and something light this morning. How about a, a little word game? Nothing hard. Don't get intimidated. Uh, a little word game where all you have to do is finish the sentence. Ready for the first one? Just a small town girl. Nice, living in a lonely world. Okay, how about the second one? Just a city boy. Nice, I bet you even know where they were going. They took the midnight train. That is unbelievable. How did you know this? You were studying your journey lyrics flashcards again last night, weren't you? Now, no, we know that that stuff becomes automatic. In fact, you have not thought of that song in an awful long time, and yet you will sing it the rest of the day. You're welcome. I could have picked a different one, so at least I went with a good one. But there's something about music that God knows he uses lyric to, well, to encode things not only on our brains, but even in our hearts, sometimes over the long haul, and uses two things that come up all the time in song lyrics. And that's rhythm and repetition. And rhythm and repetition tune our hearts and engage our brains in ways that help form us. And sometimes those things stick forever. So long before there was the times of cell phones where you could just kind of save someone's contact in there and never know their phone number. So for example, I do not know my own adult children's cell phone numbers. I just look it up. Someone asked me what it was, I would say, I don't know. But for some reason, I can still remember the house phone number that I taught those children to learn 30 years ago by rhythm and rhyme and uh, repetition. They knew to say 228074. If they ever got lost, they could ring it out. 43 years ago, I asked Lisa Parker for her phone number to take her out on a date. I can still remember her house phone number. 8848520, don't lose that number, uh-uh. And if you are over 50 years old in this room right now, you know Jenny's phone number, don't you? And only some of you are laughing, and the others are going, I don't know who you're talking about. So if you're under 50, for those over 50, tell them. 867, that is so pitiful. Because we're the very same people who can introduce ourselves to one another in this foyer, swap names, get out to the car, make a loop around the building, and forget who it is we just met, right? Now you're saying that, but to be fair, Mark, it takes a little bit of time to get around that building. So that's not short-term memory loss, that's long-term memory loss at Fellowship Benville. The point is this, lyric is used 
to align and our hearts to its rhythm. And when we learn that rhythm, those things stayed encoded in us forever. Better yet, God wants to use his lyric to not just encode us, but to transform us. So the Psalms are Hebrew uh, prayers set to song, collected in a songbook called the Book of Psalms. It's God's word set to rhythm and melody and repetition in order to encode, in order to transform. And we're going to look at the spiritual rhythm of the word through the lens of Psalm 1, the very first of those songs, seeing how we can align ourselves to that rhythm and see what God would want to do to transform our lives. Psalm 1 highlights the beauty of a life in rhythm with God's word. In fact, the psalm, the very beginning of all of the psalms, open with this little line. Psalm 1, verse 1, blessed is the person. Folks, this psalm is the anthem of a person who is living the good life. Every one of us has a vision of the good life. Every person you have ever met, including yourselves, has an idea in their mind and in their heart of what brings satisfaction or brings fulfillment. And as soon as you have decided, this brings me satisfaction, this brings me fulfillment, that is your definition of the good life. And in this case, that words, those words satisfaction and fulfillment are at the essence, at the heart of the Hebrew word blessed or blessed. It talks about a heart that is satisfied and thoroughly fulfilled. And we see here, this word blessed means simply, oh, how happy. Oh, how happy. It comes from a root Hebrew word. That word blessed comes from the word to be right, to be in line, uh, to be leveled, to be made straight to another point of reference. And the interesting thing is this word blessed or blessed here is only used of human beings is never referred to in the Bible tied to God. Why? Is it because God is not happy? No. See, God is actually the happiest being in the universe. He is joy overspilling continually and eternally. But God doesn't have to align himself to anyone else. He doesn't have to level himself to anything else. He does not align his life or straighten his life to any other outside standard because he himself is the standard. He is the one that all others, things and people, have to be aligned to to experience satisfaction and fulfillment. God is that straight line, that fixed point to which we are aligned. Tomorrow morning, our family and my wife and I and two teenagers will jump in the car and head to the beach for a few days. I got a hunch that... Uh, the first day we get out and play in the ocean, that I will be out there with those boys playing for an hour, and we will look up at the beach, and we will ask ourselves, hey, who moved our stuff 100 yards down the beach? Now, you know if you've ever been to the beach, no one moved your stuff. You drifted from alignment from it. And so it is with us. We tend to drift out of alignment with the lyric that God has sung over our lives. And when we do that, we miss out on fulfillment, satisfaction, or to shorthand it in the Hebrew way, blessed. Blessed, he said, is the person, the person who's aligned with him. 
The first word of Psalm 1 is blessed. The last word of Psalm 1 is perish. And it's going to contrast two radically different approaches to life. And only two approaches. In fact, Psalm 1 is going to simplify life or clarify life to such a degree that it's not even going to give us a third person. We're either one path or another path. We're either aligned or we're out of blessing. And both of those have different results in life. Two rhythms, two different results. It's almost like we're reading a, a Robert Frost poem, The Road Not Taken. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could, to where it bent in the undergrowth. We are the same way. We're one traveler, and we cannot drive, travel two roads. Psalm 1 is the gift of God letting us look down both roads and seeing what they're made of, and where they lead. And let's jump in and look at the first road. Verse 1, blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Do you notice the progression there? You notice that it starts with walk, and then moves to stand, and then it moves to sit. In fact, I don't even think you could call that a progression. I think that's a regression. That is someone who thinks they're on a journey. They still think they're a traveler. Clearly, they're stuck, though. They are not moving forward anymore. And notice how it all begins with who we listen to. The very first movement here is those who walk in the council. Men and women, we have to be honest enough with ourselves to realize that we all listen to someone. We all trust something. Don't believe the person who says, not me. I make up my own mind. I don't listen to anybody or anything else. I make up my own mind. No, that just means they've been listening to the same echo chamber so long they have lost even touch with voices that don't sound like their own. They are thoroughly baptized in someone else's counsel enough that they think it's their own counsel. Walk in the counsel, he starts with. In other words, he's describing the voices we believe. And we must be aware of the voices that are shaping our lives because we are being formed by something or someone. And according to Psalm 1, actually say this, according to God, we are either being formed in a way that starts with our ears, right? Starts with our belief system, but then it moves to our behavior. So walk in the council becomes stand in the path. And then notice how the behavior then spills over into our sense of identity, our sense of belonging. Standing in the path spills over now into sitting in the seat. You sit join someone at the table. You now belong to them. Hey, we use that same phrase in our culture. You have a seat at the table. But in this case, you now have a seat at the table of, it says, the scoffer. Who's the scoffer? 
Is it the person with a quick wit and just some sarcastic sense of humor? That's what we say in our English. The Hebrew definition of scoffer here is an arrogant person who loves conflict. Ouch. Because that sounds like my cable news channel all day, every day. Arrogant person who loves conflict. That sounds like social media feed that continually pummels. You know, back in the early 90s, I would call the early 90s round one of the culture wars, uh, talk radio was the medium of choice. And again, if you're younger, I just work with me here. Believe it or not, it was AM talk radio. You're like, really? There's still an AM radio out there? AM talk radio was the medium uh, that was owned by the culture warriors. And I had a particular station that I tended to listen to on my way to work each morning uh, that tended to slant towards a particular political bent. Now, in general, I believed or leaned towards that political bent. But I started noticing something in myself over time that I did not like. I noticed that the longer I dialed into that, the more I saw characteristics in me that were not admirable. I became more cynical, more judgmental, more angry, more anxious. I became less tolerant, less able to listen to the perspectives of others. One morning, I had this thought as I was putting the car in the park and getting out to the office, and it was simply Psalm 1-1, just sitting in the seat of scoffers, and you're starting to act like them too. The arrogant person who loves conflict, so it immediately became a shutdown. I was talking to someone I know and care about a lot recently, a couple of weeks ago. And they were telling me how just lately they've become so worried and so frustrated, even angry with the shape of the world that we live in. They're deeply concerned about the world that will be left to my grandchildren's generation. And I looked at them and said, hey, I've noticed that in you as well. You look angry and anxious. By the way, how many hours a day are you watching cable news? It was a lot. And I said, you know, there's a difference between being informed and being transformed. I'm a news hound. I love to be informed. I love to read. I love to digest events. There's a difference between being informed and transformed. We were not meant to feed off of anger and anxiety of cable news or your social media feed 24-7 and not think that we're going to be shaped by that. No, God wants to shape us with a new voice, a different kind of voice, and it's the voice in verse 2, a different kind of road, a traveler. He says, but his or her delight is in the law of the Lord. And on God's law, he or she meditates Day and night. So the blessed, or remember the happy, or maybe you could say it this way, the satisfied, fulfilled person actually gets up every day and listens to a voice too. But this time it is God's voice. And it's God's voice, God's voice heard through God's word. And what I notice here is this person has a progression to their walk as well. 
And the progression here starts with their heart attitude, and then it shows up in their life actions. So the heart attitude starts with delight, delights themselves in the law of the Lord. Delights or takes pleasure or is pleased by God's word. And then it yields an action. And the action is meditating continually on God's word, meaning pondering continually God's word. And as a result, that delight leads to meditation and and it puts this person continually on a path that's aligned with God. And I think meditating on God's word has become a lost art in the modern church. I, I, I think Hunter is on to something last week. One of the reasons why it's a lost art is the amount of clutter, which is why his message on simplicity, if you were traveling last week or haven't, weren't at church last week, it is a must listen to. His message on simplicity or decluttering so we could hear and see the word uh, of God clearly and have it have fruit in our lives, I think that's one of the chief reasons meditation is lost. But another reason could be ignorance, meaning when we hear meditate, we think of Eastern meditation because that's the only time we've ever heard that word used in our vernacular. Eastern meditation is so different than biblical meditation. Eastern meditation is an emptying of the mind to, quote, free yourselves from your world or your consciousness. Biblical meditation is a filling of the mind with God's truth in order to free yourself with the clutter of the world and align yourself with God. And here he says this person meditates day and night. So basically saying meditates continually. The word meditate, it means to murmur. You actually see people meditating all the time. You've been to a restaurant with them and watched them put that first bite of food in their mouth and they meditate with a full mouth. Oh, my, amazing. Oh, boy. Who are they talking to? They're meditating. You watch them meditate around the house when they walk around talking to themselves, saying, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Where's my phone? You've heard of parents meditating through the house. My wife, I used to say, kids, when she's talking to herself, move to the other room. She'll say, what was that child thinking? What was that boy thinking? Or a spouse who says, oh, we're going to talk about that tonight. And they're walking on their own, talking to themselves. They are meditating. The practice is not so different than what we do all the time. We just need to put it in play with the voice that matters most in our lives, which is God's word, his lyrics, that becomes encoded on us. Happy is the person who takes pleasure in God's word and who ponders it continually, is what God says. Starts with an attitude, shows up in an action, and it seems to diagram something like this, right? I love God's word. I ponder God's word continually. But I think this becomes so oversimplistic that it might help explain why there's so little meditating on God's word in the modern church. In fact, I heard one writer say it this way. He said, American Christians revere the Bible a lot, but only, only read the Bible a little. In other words, we love to respect it as a, at a distance but not meditate on it personally, like singing those journey lyrics back in line 
with a song. You might be stuck in that place saying, I know, Mark, I should read the Bible more, and I feel guilty that I don't. But if I were to be more honest, I've got to tell you, I don't think I want to read the Bible that much. And I even feel more guilty about that. But we can stay stuck in a guilt cycle that gets us nowhere but stuck. Or we can ask, how do we get out of a guilt cycle? How do you increase your appetite for God's Word? Well, maybe this will help as a story. Uh, our friend, Rodney Holmstrom, who is, directs our Celebrate Recovery ministry here at Fellowship, Rodney has a passion for God's truth. He has a passion for helping people walk in freedom of God's truth. But I remember him telling me a story about over a decade ago, he was wrestling with some health problems, and after seeing a doctor, was recommended to sit with a nutritionist, and he met with this nutritionist, who kind of evaluated his diet and said, Rodney, I, I want to start one place. I want to ask you to stop drinking so much Dr. Pepper and start drinking more water. And he said, yeah, but there's the problem. I don't like water. And the nutritionist said this to him, Rodney, I promise you, if you will start this process, your body will crave what you feed it. Your body is built to crave what you feed it. And if you know Rodney Holmstrom now, you know he carries around a jug of water. It looks like he's either a power lifter or he's bought into her counsel. He craves it because that's what he has fed it. Well, in the same way, we are wired the same way. See, that psalm actually diagrams something more cyclical. It may start for you with an intellectual, healthy respect towards the Bible. You see the value of God's Word. You see it and believe it here. All you need to do is take that and begin to feed your soul with it. You begin to read it and start to experience what the Bible promises it will deliver. It promises to deliver you guidance, insight, peace, correction, comfort, wisdom, love, you were to read Psalm 119, you would list about three dozen other benefits. And once you start experiencing those fruits of God's Word in your life, it leads to an increased delight, a growing heartfelt attitude towards God's Word. And it becomes a life cycle we're caught up in. Our affection grows, and therefore our meditation grows, our meditation grows, and therefore our delight grows, and the cycle continues, and we become Formed by God's word. Listen, this is not just theory from the scriptures. This is a promise God has given in the scriptures that's even borne out by modern brain science. You Google anything this morning after church on modern brain science and you will find the word neuroplasticity come up. And if you look at what neuroplasticity is, it basically tells us the way all of our brains, young and old, the myth is it used to be that we thought young people's brains, brains had higher plasticity, but older people, you know, like, uh, once it's set there, you know, it's set there. That's not true. Our brains continue to grow and change and be formed through our entire life. Neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to reorganize itself and form new neural pathways based on the things we experience. That's a really complicated way of saying what Rodney's nutritionist already told him. You will crave 
what you feed on. How else do you explain the fact that you know you have to get up early in the morning for work, your frontal lobe tells you to go to bed and stop watching Netflix. And yet you've been watching Netflix all evening that you let one more show just binge feed you again. You're only craving what you've been feeding on all evening long. And it can be done in good and healthy ways too. We feed on the truth and grace of God's word. And then we start to fall in love with what it produces in our life. Look at verse 3. Remember, verse 2 was delight, an attitude, meditate, an action, or ponder. And this is what it produces in verse 3. He or she will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. You know, the... Psalm 1 is only five verses. When you read the whole thing, you will see radically contrasted lives. A blessed life and a life that's ending in waste. It tells us that the wicked person, the person out of alignment with God's lyric, is the person who has regressed from the outside in. Remember, this person walked. So they listened and walked. And then they started to actually behave And then they had an identity change. They started believing something. It was an outside-in change. Notice about the person who's blessed, though. Theirs has been an inside-out change. It started on the inside, what they delighted in, and then it moved to their meditation, their ability to keep thinking and rethinking on God's Word, inside-out change. And not only that, their life change is inside-out. Notice where it starts. It starts underground at the root level. It'll be like a tree planted firmly by streams of water. And then it moves to the outside lifestyle. There's beautiful fruit and beautiful leaves on this person. In other words, this man or woman is flourishing from the inside out. It's an incredible promise that God gives us. This person's living the good life. By the way, Psalms... The 150 Psalms have three wisdom Psalms in it. The wisdom Psalms tell us the way to walk well. Psalm 1, Psalm 19, Psalm 119. All three of those wisdom songs, guess what their topic is? What God's Word does in our life. God is simply trying to say, I know you want to flourish, but you just believe me that there's only one path towards flourishing. And it's when you are lined back up with my word. And my word becomes the voice that is shaping you most. Psalm 1, that first wisdom psalm, gives us an overview of what the Bible does in our life. And you can kind of summarize it in three words. But first of all, it anchors our lives. It anchors our lives the same way roots anchor a tree. I love that it says you'll be like a tree rooted by streams of water. Other versions you might read say a tree rooted by channels of water. And the reason why is this Hebrew word has also been translated the same word we would use for an irrigation channel or an irrigation ditch. Meaning in the dry season like we're about to head into, a farmer knows 
He can't get the crops to the water. He's got to get the water to the crops or they will die. And if you have been dry in your season of walking with God, God is not shouting at you to get up and move to the water. He's asking you to let him bring the water to you. These are irrigation ditches, channels of life-giving water that he will bring to you and your roots through his word. And so in our dryness, when we continue to, to ignore God's word and just say, I don't have an appetite for it, so I'm just going to stay away from it, it's as though we're a dry crop saying, I'm shutting off the irrigation channel, and I will not be watered by the farmer of my soul. Let God love you enough back to life by opening yourself up to his word. And then he continues to say, see God's word for what it is. Notice he, the imagery he uses here is that the Bible describes itself as food for our souls, not just facts for our mind. And so it nourishes us. He says it yields its fruit in due season, whatever the, that uh, its leaf does not wither. We're nourished by God's word, not just informed by God's word. Yes, my mind and my thinking is shaped. I'm so glad God changes my mind through his word. But he also changes my emotion and my will through his word. It's food that nourishes us, which helps us because we don't go to the Bible then. And like this morning, when you saw that Psalm chapter 1 was our text for the sermon, was there any part of you that said, I've read that so many times. I mean... I already know that. Well, that's what we do if we believe it's just facts. But if we believe it's food, we open up Psalm 1 and we say, oh, I've eaten that before. And that's good. And it nourishes me. And we go back to the meal. And not just that, it's, it guides us. As verse 6 tells us, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Knows means, doesn't mean just God witnesses the way of the righteous. It means that God watches over and guides the way of the righteous. See this compelling vision of the Bible? It anchors us. It nourishes us. It guides us. It's an anchor and it's food, it's compass. Travelers need all of those. We need a compass, we need food, and we need to be anchored. And when we experience these, we start to meditate on God's word and put it into action, which is why Jesus and the New Testament talk often about whenever we approach the word, we have to not just be a hearer, but a, a doer. That actually comes from James chapter one. Jesus said it this way after his Sermon on the Mount. He said, the person who hears my words and then acts on them, this will be the blessed person. And again, we hear that and we start to think, okay, it seems as though the vision of the Christian life is quite simple. A leads to B. I hear God's word, I do God's word, end of story. But thank God it is far more rich and dynamic and deeper than that. Because I don't want to live as a surface robotic level like that. I want to have deep heart change. I want something to go on the inside of me from the inside out and change me. The gospel-centered, biblical Christianity is not a straight line from hearing and doing. It starts with hearing it. It leads to doing it. But there is deep work on the inside of my life that's happening in between. And that work is called transformation, which is where the spiritual practices come in. You see, 
we know it's more of a process of God's word getting into us. And yes, it starts by hearing, but once we hear God's word, we have to recognize this message is different than any others. This lyric is a life song, not just any old song. And so it leads us to recognizing God's word for what it is. It is God's voice. So when I open up the Bible, I'm hearing God's voice. When I hear God's voice, God's telling me what he thinks about, how he feels, he's telling me his will, and he's telling me his ways. When I open up the Bible, I'm beginning to encounter God himself. Not that these written pages are my God, but they inform me of who my God is and how he sounds and what he does and what he feels about and how I can be shaped by him. So we recognize God's word for what it is. It's his word. And that leads us to meditating, pondering on it over and over, chewing on it, not just nodding at it and moving on, but letting it kind of wash over us. And then that causes our hearts to start to believe it and trust it more. So our conviction gets deep and our faith gets strong. And now we actually have some, some internal gumption or strength to live it out because the roots have taken deep inside of us. This is how God wants us to grow through the decades. If you're brand new in your walk with Jesus, this is his vision. If you've been walking with Jesus for over half a century, this is still his vision for us. We are all in the formation process. In 1980, I, had a, I was given my first Bible. Up until that summer, I had never touched a Bible, never opened a Bible, certainly never read a Bible. And I got invited to a, a small group uh, in high school. We know them here as cell groups. I didn't know anything about that stuff. I just know my friends invited me to their small group. And in that process, I started looking around and realized I was the only guy who had brought a Bible that he had checked out from his school library with the Dewey Decibel system on the spine, that they all had ones with their names engraved on it, which I thought was amazing. And I met Jesus that summer. And they gave me a Bible, put my name on it. This is my first Bible. I don't read from it anymore because most of the epistles have all fallen out and been put in in the wrong order. When I was first given it, the guy who led our small group said, Mark, all I want you to do is start reading in the Gospel of John. I said, okay, what's that? <laughs> he pointed it out to me and said, you don't have to read it all. Just read a chapter every day or so. I said, okay. And he said, then I want you to pay attention to when God is speaking. So I said, Eric, how do you know God's speaking? He said, Mark, God is always speaking in his Bible. But you'll know he has a message for you because sometimes while you're reading it, you'll just feel this sense of, huh. Maybe it's probably more profound for you than that. But for me, it's the Holy Spirit, huh. And he goes, I just want you to slow down when you get that Holy Spirit, huh. And maybe highlight the verse. And when we come back together, show me what you highlighted. Tell me what God was saying in your life. I remember the third time we met, I came back with John chapter 3. I didn't know you weren't supposed to highlight 25% of the verses in the chapter. 
They were fresh and alive to me. I remember finishing the book of John at the end of that first month, and I didn't know what to do next, so I just turned the page and started reading Acts. I finished Acts, and I just turned the page, and I kept reading through the rest of the New Testament. I finished the, next, the New Testament, and I thought, well, I probably should start over. So I went to the beginning of the New Testament, which is the Gospel of Matthew, and I read it. And then I skipped to Acts, and I went through the rest of the New Testament. And then I thought, well, I don't know what to do next. So I went to the second Gospel, Mark, read it, and then went to Acts and the rest of the New Testament. And then I went to the third Gospel, Luke, read it, went to Acts and the rest of the New Testament. Now, I'm not as disciplined as most people. So this took me a few years of the early Christian life. And now all of a sudden, I'm a young college student, and I've been just kind of turning the pages and pondering on this truth. And I started to realize that I was different. I didn't script to be different, but I was different. I was a little less arrogant and a little less selfish than I was a couple years earlier. I had a little more love and joy and peace and patience and all the other fruits of the Spirit that were starting to show up in my life. All because this book was doing what the psalmist said it would do. Roots started bringing fruit. I wondered in those early years of my Christian life, am I still on a new two-year high? You know that little two-year beginning walk with Jesus? And will this kind of come down and just wane off? And then I remember years later, 1996, Lisa and I were on staff with an organization called Crew, and I was about to leave staff and head into the pastorate. And one of my last meetings at work, my boss's boss was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, and he came to talk to the staff and do some training. His name was Bill Bright. He was 76 years old in 1996. And I remember him gathering the staff around, and he was going to do a message, and he grabbed his Bible, and he said, hey, let's open up our Bibles real quick. And he went like this. He said, I love this book. And then his voice cracked, and he started choking up, and he said, no, I love this book. And he was sitting in this chair kind of in front of me. He was kind of rocking a little bit. He was stroking his Bible that was really worn out. And he said, I love this book. I hear my God's voice through this book. And I don't remember what his message was. But I remember being struck by a man who had walked with God for 50 to 60 years who was still delighting in this book like it was a love letter and pondering it like it was food for his soul. And I said, Lord, can I be like that at the end of a simple journey? I don't know where you are in the rhythm of God's word. I don't know if you have drifted from it, maybe replaced it, because in our world of clutter, we love to replace God's word with sermons and podcasts. I don't know, maybe for you, if you really have not even been in the habit of ever reading God's word. Oh, I'm so grateful you worship in a fellowship bit until today. Because whether you need to start for the first time or start again, the buffet is open. 
And the Father wants to feed your soul. He wants to bring life-giving water to you. But we've got to open ourselves back up to his word. And so as Pat comes to lead us through a meditation of Psalm 1, I'm going to ask you to assess where you are in relationship to God's word right now. Maybe you haven't even been hearing lately. Or you haven't, you've kind of just treated it casually. Ugh, these people who talk about a quiet time in such a religious way, ugh, and you're not recognizing it as for what it is. It's God's word. Or you're not meditating. You're not trusting it. But would you be honest enough to assess your journey this morning? I'm not going to close this in prayer this morning. I would ask instead that you would simply say, Holy Spirit, speak now. I'm listening. We have the opportunity to practice the spiritual rhythm together through the process of Lectio Divina. It simply means divine reading, and it's a spiritual practice that has been in the church for years. There's four movements to Lectio, and uh, there's Latin words that go with them, but I'm going to keep to English this morning. So the first step is to read the Word. The second step is to reflect on the Word. The third step is to respond in prayer. And then the last step is to rest in silence. Lectio Divina has been likened to feasting on the Word. First, you take a bite, then you chew on it, savoring its essence, and finally, you digest it and make it a part of the body. It reminds me of something else we do here um, as the body in communion. We feast on the living word as we remember his sacrifice for us. And so let's feast on the written word together this morning. I'm going to simply invite you uh, to listen and to read and follow along. You can close your eyes, let me read this over you, but let's read, reflect, respond, and rest together. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Reflect on those two verses of Scripture. And spend some time in response, prayer to the Lord. Maybe you need to process this. Lord, what path am I on? Am I on the right path that delights in your law day and night? Or have I followed the way of the world? Have I strayed from your path? Started walking on the wrong path? And then have I become complacent? Have I stopped? Have I sat down?
Blessed one is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. We reflect on the truth of his word and respond in prayer. Maybe you need to process with the Lord this morning. What is the source of life for you? Is it the streams of living water? Or are you running to something else? Something that promises life but delivers death. Maybe you need to process with the Lord, what what season are you in? Maybe it's a season that feels like barrenness. But we hold fast to the promise that yield fruit in our season. So what is God growing within you? And then ask the Lord that you would hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then rest. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Take some time to reflect on the revelation that there are two paths. As the Gospels tell us, Wide is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. So maybe this morning you need to process with the Lord. And what path am I on? I want to be on the path that leads to life. What must I do? Maybe you need to process uh, the Lord's goodness that He knows the way of the righteous, that He knows every intricate fact about your life. Maybe you just need to lay those thoughts, those anxieties before him. Find rest in his goodness today, that he is the fount of every blessing and he wants us to live a blessed life.
acknowledge that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Would you stand with us and let's sing this together before we leave this place. We sing. You're the way, the truth, and the life. You're the well that never runs dry. I'm the branch and you are the vine. Draw me close and teach me to abide. Be my strength, my song in the night. Be my own, my treasure, my prize. I am yours forever, you're mine. Draw me close and teach me to abide. Oh Lord, would you teach us to abide, to live in your presence, to know you more and more, to live in step with you, to follow these spiritual rhythms that lead us to experience of the blessed life. We thank you and we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Um, if you like to join a community group, you can go out to the booth, Connections booth. Also want to remind you about um, fellowship visits there in a booth as well, the, the Vols. And if you'd like prayer this morning, we have Jeff and Chris Gross. They'd love to pray with you. Go in peace this week.